Well, good evening, everybody. This is Dr. Jeanette Bershay of Treasures of the Heart International Ministries and the Church of God in Christ International Sunday School Department. I'm excited on today. Today is my birthday, and I had to let everyone know that just because it was my birthday, it doesn't mean that class will not happen. Amen, somebody. I want to give a shout-out to to our leader, uh, Bishop Charles E. Blake. We thank you so much. Uh, the president of the International Sunday School Department, Bishop Alton Gatlin, and our field representative, Cleolia Penix. We thank you so much. Superintendent Brown, love you. Shout out to Evangelist Waynell Henson for always being on point and being that Sunday school girl. Amen, somebody. And again, a lot of this would not have been generated if it weren't for Illinois' first Sunday school department that kicked off things so elegantly, and it's caused an overflow into every jurisdiction and into every state of the Church of God in Christ and its Sunday school departments. We thank you so much, Superintendent Michael Payton. Uh, Also, the state of North Carolina and all of the Church of God in Christ jurisdictions and districts, we thank you so much, and all the Sunday school instructors, we thank you so much for being on the fire for the Lord and for the word of God and for the passion and the love of teaching the word of God and for keeping the foundation of Sunday school solid, but also for us being able to stand together on the united front to be able to help restore Sunday school. Again, my call is for the state of North Carolina for us to be able to unite And in a non-traditional setting, this call is done as Sunday school Bible study. And so if you are not able to make it to Sunday school on a given Sunday, you can come on Wednesday. If you miss Wednesday, you can tune in Saturday to Illinois First. Amen. But also understanding that this call is also to take the place of if you have not gone to Bible study, you can use this call as a point of reference for Bible study to meet your weekly obligations, especially you pastors that are in North Carolina and its jurisdictions of the Church of God in Christ. Some churches are small, and they just don't have the capacity or the time to meet, but this call will serve that purpose. Amen. Use the tools. Use whatever it is that is necessary to help you teach, to enhance your teaching, but understand that the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, He is the teacher, and so it gives us the understanding of how we are to present this lesson again. There's going to be a there's going to be a Wednesday when I'm going to call upon one of the Sunday school teacher teachers in the jurisdiction, whether it's Greater North Carolina jurisdiction or any other jurisdiction within the state of North Carolina, as a Sunday school instructor to come on this line and to be able to deliver that lesson. And so. I give God the glory, and I give him the honor just for the opportunity. I thank you uh, to my pastor and to Upper Room Church of God in Christ in Raleigh, North Carolina, just for allowing me to be the evangelist that I am, to, 
to stand and to be committed to teaching the Word of God and to be committed to the teaching and the mission in which it is that I am on and that I have been given to stand firm in Christian education with the Church of God in Christ International Sunday School Department, but understand but not limited to because the Word of God crosses denominational lines. The Word of God crosses all atmospheres because God is God, the God of this Bible that we hold as the infallible truth, amen, and the testament and the witness of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen, somebody. Well, we are on this lesson, on Lesson 7, Justice, Love, and Humility. And this is an awesome lesson. And as I taught on last week, we were dealing with the youth lesson, but then bringing it into the adult lesson, which I think is important, especially when we have young people and or youth leaders, youth pastors that that are teaching Sunday school, but also our young Sunday school teachers, giving them another way of presenting the gospel, but also in a different platform, in an expository form that will allow them to engage and to really nestle in what the heart of the message is and really expound on the scripture and especially in the Old Testament and in the prophecy language in which is used in our Old Testament studies and especially in Micah. Amen, somebody. Uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you. Lord, we give you glory and honor on today. We thank you that, Lord, that, that I have decreased and allow the spirit of the living God to increase in this place. For, Lord, bring us together for unity. Bring us together for knowledge. Bring us together for the understanding of what it is that you would have us do as an requirement for every person to live a righteous life that goes before you and asserts the justice and the humility and the love more than any type of sacrifice done in our lives. For, Lord, we thank you and we praise you that on today that there will be someone whose life will be reclaimed, that will be refined, that will be redeemed, that will be restored, that will be reconciled and regenerated unto you. For, Lord, today is the day that the Lord has made, and, Lord, we shall rejoice and be glad in it, so we shall not forget what a benefactor is and what you have done for us, but understanding that we shall show gratitude in all areas of our life and gratitude to you. And as this lesson goes forth, Lord, allow the Holy Spirit to come in and rest, rule, and abide. And again, we'll be ever so careful to give you the praise while this lesson is moving forward. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, let's get right to the heart of the lesson. We understand that our our Bible truth is justice, love, and humility, and that our Bible basis is Micah 6, 3 through 8. Our Bible truth is when God instructs the unjust to be just, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with him. Our memory verse is Micah 6 and 8. The word of God says that he hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. And we want to understand that our aim on today 
it's really by the end of this lesson that we shall be able to know how to honor God gratefully by exhibiting the character traits that God requires. That's the knowledge that we have to know, understanding that we've got to be able, we will be able to express the feelings about living up to God's expectations for us to be just and loving and humble in the attitude. That's what the expression is, in the attitude. And to lead the community into making God's requirements a reality. That's our action, that we are to lead the community into making God's requirement a reality. Now, in our life need of where today's lesson places us, it is that Sometimes people forget what a benefactor has done for them, or they make an insincere effort to show gratitude. And in the application, as we as we should show to make sure that we stay balanced in that, is that God loves gratitude, and in the loving of the gratitude that Christians, we as Christians, we've got to understand that because of all that God has done for us, for them. They must live upright lives to show their gratitude to him. And for the, the youth department, this is where you may want to have your, your Sunday school students uh, use, use a lesson scripture to help them, but to also have them write, write, their, write, write their own gratitude letter to God. And this is something as adults we need to do. Uh, because we often think that this is what we have to teach for the youth to do, that they should do. But this is something that we can do because it also strengthens our relationship with God as well, to be able to break things down, to be able to discuss, to be able to to understand the mercy, um, how to love mercy and, and another and how to walk humbly um, and how to, how to to really engage into the reality and the requirements that God wants us to do, because understanding that the Israel, the Israelites' disrespect toward God and disobedience of His commands had arose from their lack of regard and gratitude for His saving, His saving acts for them. Amen. Somebody. So. We've got to be able to define the humility in our own words, and we've got to be able to define gratitude in our own words and define love in our own words. And we're going to find out that if we define love in our own words, are our own words balanced with what God says the word of God says that love is? And if we are off the mark, then we've got to take it back to the drawing board in our own spiritual growth and find out what it is that that God really wants. Let him reveal to you what his love is, what his justice is, and how we need to even be more humble. Now, this word of God that we are moving into in justice, love, and humility in this lesson, here's where we see that uh, we we begin to, we begin a dialogue, and in this in this dialogue, this is where we are we're showing forth that uh, 
understanding culture, understanding the cultural practices and sacrifices that had surrounded the nation of Israel and how they were worshiping fertility gods and with a little g and and how those gods who who demanded a portion of what they helped produce uh, crops and animals and even children uh, the the child sacrifice was usually the firstborn son and because he would be the most precious thing to a family as the heir of all the wealth and the possessions of the family this practice was a temptation for the Israelites and forbidden by the Lord, as stated in Deuteronomy 18, 9 through 12, and Jeremiah 7 and 31. But understand that although the firstborn of every man in animal belonged to the Lord, that Israel was given specific commands for redeeming the firstborn in Numbers 18, 15 through 17. And this was Israel's way of of distinguishing themselves from the different nations around them. So in the Word of God, we see where Micah, Micah has began a, a prophecy. And in Micah, in Micah reviewing, re- reviewing the prophecy, and as he begins with that general, general announcement to Samaria and Jerusalem, we have to take a look at Micah, at, at Micah 6 and 1. And when we see Micah 6 and 1, we engage in a dialogue. And in this dialogue, we understand that having announced the, the imminent judgment and promised the ultimate blessing, that Micah now earnestly pleads for repentance on the part of his contemporaries, and in doing so, he points out the way of salvation. So in, in the case that was against Judah, this is where we see that Micah urges his contemporaries to hear what Yahweh is about to say. So here, this is where the prophet is introducing what follows as the language of Yahweh himself. So when God speaks, the highest duty of mankind is to listen, which means obey, in Micah 6 and 1. Then we see the opening of the court. And when we see the opening of the court, this is where the prophet is called upon to arise and present Yahweh's case against the people. This is the background that we need to understand as we move forward into this lesson. So when we see in our lesson, when it references the prior the prior chapters, we've got to bring it current, current because some people may not read. They may not read or engage in the scriptures that are given in our power for living. And so it would be, oh, okay, that's just another reference. But in teaching, we've got to engage the reader and engage the listener and engage the student into a little bit of historical background to bring them current as to why maybe a, a chapter wasn't used in the lesson. And so here the verb guam is, it has a technical meaning, and it signals preparation for speech. As, as a reference, we can go to Judges 20 and 8 and Jeremiah 1 and 17. So especially in the context of the court, as we give a reference of Deuteronomy 19 and 15. So in this overview, Micah is 
to contend. Now, make a, that means make a complaint and with the mountains. And that language, it doesn't make clear it doesn't, it doesn't make clear whether the mountains are, one, the judges or the witnesses or the accused. But Micah maybe perhaps is to condemn the mountains as the local for, for much of the idolatrous practice in ancient Judah. So fast forward, now we understand that the prophet obeyed God and addressed the mountains, and the mountains are called the enduring ones. And... Uh, they had stood where God had stationed them all the foundation of the earth. That means the creation. And then the mountains are alerted that the great king had a legal case with, the, with his people. And thus the, the, the litigants are introduced. So here Yahweh is, is the plaintiff. And here his people collectively defendant. And so the term case. Writ is the technical term for a formal controversy between two parties. The point of such controversy was to submit the judgment as to the ties. So now the, the point of, again, the controversy, we've got to understand the point of the controversy was to submit judgment as to which party was in the right. So the language we see that his people, this is where it suggests that this is a special covenant litigation, and in the covenant lawsuits, God refers to Israel with terms of endearment in, in 6 and 2 and then in Hosea 4 and 1. So now in our, in our lesson, it brings us to where it says we need to clarify the issues. Prior, it was God reminds Israel of its benevolence. So clarifying the issues in verse 3, it says, Oh, my people, what have I done unto thee? And wherein have I wearied thee? Testify against me. So this is a direct address of Yahweh. He begins in this particular verse, and he addresses not the mountains but his people by saying, Oh, my people, what have I done to you? And in, in, to in, in paraphrasing, the Lord is, is asking, what have I done to deserve your neglect? And he, this is where he's quite ready to hear any credible evidence against him if Judah can produce such. And the tone here is not that of an outraged plaintiff, understand, but one of a wounded spouse or a parent. And that many years later, the Lord Jesus would ask his, his auditors, which of you convicts me of a sin in John 8 and 46? So now in our lesson, in the pleading, this means that it, in the words, in the offense, how have I offended you? How could you become dissatisfied with me? This is where he gives them an opportunity to testify and literally to answer or in a legal suit in providing opposition, uh, an opposing testimony against him. So understand that some hint of, of Judah's complaint against Yahweh, this, it is found in the second question which, which God asks his people, how have I wearied you? How have I wearied you? Understand that a derivative in its description is a condition of a hardship of 
of oppression as we see in Exodus 18 and 8 and Numbers 20 and 14, understanding that the people can become so beaten down and distressed that they lose hope. Understand me, leaders. Understand me, pastors, that perhaps can be... they. Perhaps in the recent invasion by Sennacherib that had discouraged many. I know that in our life we get discouraged by invasions of things and people that come up against us. So it clouds our judgment as to how we we can represent or present someone or how we misrepresent someone. And so while Jerusalem was spread, was was spared miraculous, hear me, men and women of God, the countryside was still devastated. And so many had been carried off into Assyrian in captivity. Judah was exhausted. Judah was tired. The people held God responsible for their, their condition. How often do we hold God responsible for our condition, for us being tired, that big giant of exhaustion coming into our life? And we hold God accountable for running here, running there, to this function, to that function, to this church, to that church, and too tired to praise and too tired to give him glory, too tired for anything let alone to go sit in another service and sit there and ride pine and not hear a word of the man or woman of God, bringing the word of God forth. So here this is where God calls upon Judah to answer against me and produce the evidence to support their grievance. And so had the Lord really deserted them or, or have they in fact deserted God? So in 3.11, this is where Micah had alluded to the false trust in God that is manifested by the crooked leaders. And that is, we need to understand that is the prophet speaking here at a different time and under a different circumstance? And that is he addressing a different audience? Or is he suggesting that the trust proclaimed in Micah 3.11 was false? Was it a misuse of faith to justify corruption? Or probably the, the latter, understand, might be the correct interpretation. That the people had departed from the Lord in attitude and action and didn't know it. And they were weary with the demands of a true faith. My God. So now... The word of God says, For I brought thee up out of the land of Egypt and redeemed thee out of the house of servants. And I sent before thee Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Well, he sent forth thee Moses, Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. So now the Lord rehearses his blessing and how gracious he's been toward his people because he brought them out of Egypt. He redeemed them from slavery without leaders, but they were guided. They were guided to the promised land. So in defense of himself, this is where God appeals to history. 
God's people are called upon to remember what Yahweh had done for them in the past. Understanding that to remember, he needed them to remember what he had done of his saving activity as we see in Psalm 77 and 11 and Psalm 119 and 52. That far from affording any excuse from complaint that God's treatment of Israel should have been the ground for national gratitude. And that God's people are not to live in the past. They must recognize, we've got to recognize, that however the past events have forceful implications in the present for the future. And that four gracious acts of God are mentioned in, in this passage of scripture. That the exodus, as we see in 6.4, that Micah mentions first the redemption from Egypt. He said, I brought you up from the land of Egypt. The Exodus event was the center of the Old Testament faith, much like the cross and the resurrection are at the heart of the New Testament faith. And in the Hebrew, we see brought up, we see at we see electia, and it's similar in the sound of the verb weary, as we see helectica, and it is in the previous verse. So here the deliberate play on the words places the Judas disposition and the grace of God and the ingratitude of his people. So here the exodus was not merely the migration of the people from one land to another, such as when we see in the common ancient world. we got to understand that the coming out of Egypt was an act of redemption, that from the house of bondage I redeemed you. And then the verb redeem, para, it means to free someone who is bound by legal obligation from the payment of a price. So we see that that word is connected to the Exodus in Deuteronomy 7 and 8 and then 13 and 5 that no redemption price however is named other than Yahweh's manifestation of grace and power. And Deuteronomy 9 and 26. I got to slow myself down because I, I can feel a hoop coming and this is for me to teach. Thank you Holy Ghost. So here we see number two is the wilderness. Here's where the leadership in, in Micah 6 and 4 where Yahweh begins to mention a second, a second gracious act which he had performed for his people. Said that I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. The redeemed people were not left leaderless. The ancient Targum on the passage suggests that Moses taught them the law and that Aaron showed them the way of atonement and Miriam taught the women. And that the sending of Moses and Aaron is mentioned in three other passages in Joshua uh, 24 and 5 and 1 Samuel 12 and 8 and Psalm 105 and 26. So here we see the joint leadership of Moses and Aaron. It is celebrated in Psalm 77 and 20. So the leadership role here assigned to Miriam, it might be based on her actions at the Red Sea in Exodus 15 and 20. I'm helping somebody right now. So here the frustration of, of Balak. Mm, we see in 6 and 5. So in, in 5, we see, oh, my people, remember now that Balak, king of Moab, consulted and what Balaam, the son 
of Bear answered him from Shittim unto Gilgal, that ye may know the righteousness of God. This is where the Lord brings up the incident with Balak, the king of Moab and Balaam, and the, the prophet Balaam feared the Israelites coming out of Egypt, so he hired Balaam to pronounce a curse on them in Numbers 22, 1 through 6. But in the opposite happened that as the Lord had caused the donkey to speak to Balaam and to refuse to go any further in Numbers 22, 22 through 30. So now it opened up Balaam's eyes to an angel of the Lord in the middle of the road and told him not to follow through with the king's orders in Numbers 22, 31 through 35. So here, the frustration of Balaam, the third historical event, which had which Yahweh bids his wayward people to remember occurred just before the entrance into Canaan. And so God's people should remember what what should remember what Balak king of Moab devised and what Balaam the son of Beor answered him. So here this is where this reference here is to that last desperate plot to prevent Israel from entering the promised land. I know that that last desperate thought, we know that we've got some enemies that got a last desperate trick to humiliate you. Alas, I'm trying to encourage somebody on their way to heaven on today, that through this lesson we understand that the enemy devises a plan. The enemy stages his last setup to try to embarrass you, to try to get you engaged into negativity, to get you engaged in plots against other people to hinder their movement in God or to hinder their praise or their relationship with God or even in the church. Understand me. Hear me now that the enemy devises plots, but God's got something different, men and women of God. He's got a ram in the bush because he's got an angel sitting there that's going to open that one's eyes. Hmm. I just said something there. So understand that Balak intended to use magic spells to cripple the cripple the fighting ability of the armies of Israel. The enemy will try to use something to cripple your ability. It happens to our children. It cripples their ability to follow God because of what it is the enemy wants to show forth that you're not or try to pull the covers off or create a scenario to stop our children from worshiping, from following a leader. They will follow the wrong leader because their eyes have been sealed. But there's an angel that comes that will open up the eyes of the people. Don't count me out, God says. Mm, my God. So here, this is where God turned Balaam's curses into blessings through the mouth of Balaam in Numbers 22. In 22 through 24 in those chapters. And then the triumph over the powers of magic is regarded as one of the greatest saving acts of God in the Old Testament theology in John 24 and 9 as a reference. So in in this, this is where the Lord here shows them that even when their enemies tried to curse them, God fulfilled his promise and they were blessed instead. My God, the enemy's trick will be used against them that there is no witchcraft, there is no plot that man 
that man has that can stop you from getting what God has promised you. So somebody needs to be encouraged. I've just said something. That just encouraged myself there. So I hope that when y'all listen to this message that your soul will start rejoicing. So here we see that in number four that the entrance into Canaan in Micah 6 and 5, that the words from Shittim to Gilgal, that it had pointed to the successful entrance into the promised land, and that Shittim was the last encampment before crossing Jordan, and that there that God punished Israel severely for failing, for falling into idolatry, but it did not reject them. They may have failed into sin, but God still didn't reject them. They may have done or fell into Fell, fell into what God, what man wanted them to do. But God didn't reject them. Man's going to reject you if you don't do what they want you to do. But God won't reject you because he's got another plan for you. He's got some other promises for you. So one arena or platform may not be, may not be for you because God is, God's not going to reject you because they reject you. God's still got a promise for you, but he just needs to show you how he's going to do it. So don't get weary in well-doing. So they, so, so here, this is where there God punished Israel severely for falling into that idolatry, but he didn't reject them. So the, understanding the term Shittim had recalled the grace of God that was extended to a sinful people that Gilgal was the first encampment in Canaan. And in spite of their sin, God brought them in and into the land he had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. My God, the promise of remembering those past events is that you may know the righteous deeds of Yahweh. The past deeds of Yahweh are called righteous because in them he demonstrated his faithfulness to the ancient promises made to the patriarchs, that the deeds of the Lord are the ones that mean by which God reveals his identity and that the, 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 the resuscitation, understand the resuscitation and the recitation of all that God has done in the past, it proves that he had not wronged his people in any way. He's proven his case. So thus Yahweh is vindicated before the covenant court which was convened in Micah 6 and 1. Mm-mm-mm. So now we move into this is where this is where we move into we the the questioning and uh, anybody that's had a court case and that's been to, been in a trial and trying to understand you know well now I've got to defend myself and now we, they're going to question the defendant you've got an opportunity to answer those questions. And this is where the faithfulness of Israel, where God is acting on Israel's behalf with those who had sought to harm them, that he recounts how he disrupted King Balak's plot to have Balaam curse Israel, and that God's intervention resulted instead in a blessing over Israel, and that he has rescued Israel and acted to assure their continued freedom. Mm, locked up no more. So understand, you're not bound mentally, physically, and psychologically, and emotionally to the tricks of the enemy, to the plots that the enemy would try to wage against you, to humiliate you. And in that, misinterpret God's justice, misinterpret the love 
and then misinterpret how the, how the humi- how humility should be represented, or you trying to have someone submit to you to be humble out of embarrassing them and show them that if you need to be humiliated in order to be humble, that's not what God is saying. That's God's thing. So here he has maintained his commitment to the Israelites. These accounts are, are, are a reminder of what God has done for us in the past and a reminder of his continued presence that is among them and us. And so what can Israel do to correct their broken relationship? Well, the word of God, the word of God lets us know that here we see that Micah places questions in the mouths of his listeners, and then they ask how they can discharge their obligation to God. And the four questions become increasingly sarcastic. And they suggest that the prophet's audience were, in essence, denying that they were anything wrong with their relationship with Yahweh, that they, they ultimately offered the human sacrifice of a firstborn child, which was a custom and which was customary of pagan sacrifice, but prohibited by the covenant law. And we see this in Leviticus 18 and 21 and 22 through 5, and that in the, a ridiculous nature in, nature and offering suggesting that Israel may have felt that they were no way to please God. But here, however, Micah's prophecy, in keeping with other Israelite prophecy, clearly indicates that the inward condition of one's heart is more the, the concern, more concerned to God than the outward religiosity. So honor and respect that... Verse 6 says, Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Micah's establishing a courtroom setting in which the Lord is the accuser, the plaintiff who charges Israel, the accused, the defendant, with social and religious injustice. And Judah attempts to respond to God's indictment by asking how they can approach God who is so high and mighty under the shadow of their own sin and transgression that the people of Judah acknowledge the royal and lofty nature of God and realize that the king of kings is worthy to receive their obedience. And because of the greed of the religious and political leadership, they have not paid God respect and honor he deserves. And not only does God deserve their honor as the king of kings, he must be offered sacrifices, particularly burnt offerings. And the burnt offerings, the burnt offerings, it's a gift that ascends to the heavens. A portion is given to the priest to offer to God, and the remainder is consumed or burnt, and the offering is dedicated completely to God with the young calves and any animals. So here, the basic question in Micah 6, 6 is, what, with what shall I become before Yahweh and bow myself to God on high? The question, it, it, it presupposes that one must come before God with something. And the question also presupposes that God is the problem and something must be done to change his attitude towards Judah. So here this is it's it's appalling 
It is appalling ignorance, appalling spiritual ignorance. And so they actually thought that they could bribe God with gifts to change his attitude towards them. Ah, we know this all too well, where we think that if we pay, more, give more in our tithes and offering, God is going to have more favor towards us. Ah, maybe if we buy the pastor a car. Oh, maybe if we buy that house. Oh, maybe if we, we shop for the first lady. Oh, maybe if we go golfing. Oh, maybe if we go on vacation, God's going to have more favor toward us. He's going to change his attitude towards us. So, But understanding that at least they realize that they must bow before him. God is on high. That means in heaven, from on high. Understanding Yahweh hears and heals and helps those who come before him in prayer in the proper spirit. In Isaiah 54, uh, 58 and 4. And so creatures of the earth must humble themselves before him. The problem was that the people of the 8th century had defined humility in the terms of sacrificial ritual rather than daily righteousness, and that humility before God requires obedience to his word. Without that, ritual humility is a sham. Mm-mm-mm. I don't want what I'm off my, my worship to be considered as a sham. Mm. The value question in Micah 6, 6 is, shall I come to him with with a whole burnt offering with calves of a year old? Burnt offerings, they were, they were voluntary sacrifices which were made when a worshiper wished to reestablish his relationship with God, that the multiple burnt offerings would mean that the worshiper had offended God in the worst way. The fact that no sin offering is mentioned may suggest that these people had recognized no no failing on their part at at least none that they could identify. That sounds familiar. A calf might be offered to the Lord after it was eight days old in Leviticus 22 and 27 in Exodus 22 and 30. Calves of the year old would be much more valuable as an offering. So there's another question that did Yahweh want from them more numerous and more expensive sacrifices? Or the very question indicates that they had not really listened to what the prophets like Isaiah and Micah had been saying. How often do we not listen to what the Spirit of the Lord is saying through our leaders and in our personal devotion time to what the Holy Spirit is saying to us? Do we listen? Whose voice are you listening to? Whose voices, some people hear voices, whose voices are you listening to? Sometimes we got to shut the box off and and listen to what God is saying. Now, now we have the, the imputed question. Now that leads us to Micah 6 and 7, where it says, Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? 
Judah continues an arrogant defense of their crimes by sarcastically asking what the Lord requires. Now here, this is where Yahweh, you know, will Yahweh delight in thousands of rams with 10,000 rivers of oil? The question implies that Yahweh is greedy, unreasonable, even bloody, bloodthirsty, and that the term delight, rakthah, it belongs to the technical vocabulary of the priest whose job whose job it was to examine sacrifices and declare them fit for the presentation to God, that if God, through the priest, accepted the offering, then the, then the worshiper was accepted for the purpose which he had in view when he made the offering. So now oil was used in connection with the meal offering, as we saw in Exodus 29 and 2 on Leviticus 2 and 1. So in our hearing, we see that the ultimate question is that, shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my belly for the sin of my soul? And here, for the first time, the people mention their sin and transgression, that do they so in as much a way understand that, however, as to mock the notion that they really had a sin problem and that the people the people that had been aware of the episode in which Abraham was commanded to offer up Isaac in Genesis 22. So they must have surely known the law of the firstborn of the firstborn sons in Exodus 13 and 12. So in both cases, Yahweh was teaching his people that he wanted he wanted them to surrender of the spirit, not the flesh. That the human sacrifice was an abomination to Yahweh in Leviticus 18 and 21. That by raising this question, these people at the very least were demonstrating that they did not know the will of God. And that in reality, the question mocks God. And it assumes that if their sin was all that bad, that human sacrifice would be required. But since everybody knew that a human sacrifice was not acceptable, their sin must not have, must not at all be that bad. Mm, the devil is a liar. And so the devil is truly a liar. That yet they start exaggerating how many sacrifices they should get, how much money you should get. What should I buy? What should I give to the priest? Maybe if I give a little bit more to the priest, it'll be all right. Not so. So understand that they were aware of the oil and the use of the anointing, anointing the royalty and presenting gifts. So but understand that Micah, again, uses the rhetorical line of reasoning to show how far the people are removed from God, that they are not aware. They are not aware that repentance needs to occur that the line of questioning and sarcasm continues with Judah, even offering their firstborn as restitution for sin, that Micah alludes to the importance of the Lord receiving the first fruits of the harvest for sacrifice. The passage also alludes to God delivering the firstborn of Hebrew children from the angel of death during Israel's enslavement in Egypt in Exodus 12. This is this giving of the firstborn also refers to human sacrifices practiced in Judah under King Ahab in Second Kings sixteen and three and Manasseh and in Second Kings twenty one and 
So now this brings us to verse 8, where it says that he has shown thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Micah now offers a response to the questionings of of verses 6 and 7. And so none of what Judah has offered is what the Lord desires because God does not seek sacrifices, offerings, or rituals. The Lord wants the people to treat each other fairly and to walk according to his way. Obedience is better than sacrifice, 1 Samuel 15 and 22. Understanding that the people had directed their sarcastic questions to Micah. He had answered them. He had answered them simply and plainly, understanding that God had not left anyone in doubt with regard to His expectations. It has been declared to you, O oh man, what is good. The language here it transcends ancient Israel. The fundamental expectations which follow are addressed to, O oh man any man or humanity in general, that good is what Yahweh requires, what brings his blessing. The Lord looks for three qualities in all mankind. He first, this is number one, that first, that Micah says that Yahweh requires all men to be practicing justice, misbah, and perhaps justice heads Micah's list because social injustice was the great sin which which starred the society of his day in Micah 3, 1, and 8, that practicing justice means to uphold what is right according to the will of Yahweh. Thus God requires the sacrifice of life, not the sacrifice of multitudes of animals to make things right with him. Upholding what is right is often requires the sacrifice of personal aims and ambitions. Two, that Micah mentioned mentioned loving mercy. The justice which God wants is based on kindness and mercy, which is ched. That's C-H-E-S-E-D. That's the Hebrew word that points to conduct, which is becoming, which is becoming those who are covenant brothers. Loving mercy is an active quality. It is translating mercy into deeds. And then the last requirement, this is where Micah listed, make yourself humble to walk with your God, understanding that, that justice, love, and humility, that God doesn't require outrageous sacrifices. He's already told them. He's already told them what he requires, as he communicated earlier in Micah's prophecy, that God requires his people would once again be a just society. He requires that that we continually walk in fellowship, knowing that we live in a world where where people are bombarded with advertisements and and on the average that on a day-to-day basis we see more ads than someone saw in the 1950s. This is what our lesson says, and this is an awesome example because in this the ads are subtle and they make us ungrateful and dissatisfied, so we crave the new product. We gotta have the latest of the latest. We gotta have a new red bottom because last year's didn't work. I don't have a pair of red bottoms, so I'm I'm pretty frugal uh, on myself. So 
the, the luxuries. We've got to have the latest car. Some people lease cars. So they got to have a new version of the car they were driving last year so they go get a new lease vehicle. So, and they pursue they pursue to have that at any cost. So understand that make yourself humble. This is where this is where hatsne and it's used elsewhere only in Proverbs 11 and 2. The term it refers not to not not so much to self-abasement as to the measured and careful conduct. It is one who would please God who would who would please God must not presume to go his own way. Rather, he defers to the way and the will of God as revealed in the word, understanding that without the three qualities, that that sacrificial ritual had no significance. Understand, it has no significance. None whatsoever. Practicing, none, no significance. The loving mercy, no significance. To make yourself humble and to walk with God, it has no significance. Because by remembering what God has already done for us and who he is, we'll be motivated to seek the justice for others and not wealth and comfort for ourselves. So understanding if we consider the ways that God has blessed us, and, and in, I say that us, how he impersonalized it, how he's blessed you. I have to personalize it, how he's blessed me. Our lesson says that do, do you sometimes forget all that he's done in your life? I have. I can raise my hand. That in order to get out of yourself, Go through a lesson, go through a, a, a process that challenges yourself to create a list of things that God has done for you. I know that in my testimony what God has done for me, and I'm honest in saying that he's delivered me from a lot. He's healed me, dealing with mental illness, dealing with, with drugs, and, and dealing dealing with, with, with lust, and dealing with uh, cancer. See, this is a long time ago he healed and delivered me. See, I'm walking in my promised land now. So 10 years plus later, because I've been faithful in my walk, so now his promises are true. That I only bow down to him. I can't bow down to what man wants. Because it's a call and a destiny, a mantle that's on my life. There's a call and a destiny and a mantle that's on your life as men and women of God. So as we understand that that justice and love, that justice and love and mercy that we, and humility, we've got to understand that justice, love, and humility, we've got to understand, we've got to know the knowledge. We have to know the attitude. We've got to be in action. We've got to remember the instructions that the unjust to be just, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with him. That is the truth of our Bible lesson and what it is that he's done for you, what it is that he's taking you out of. What, what was your Egypt? What was your exodus? So when we see that and we create that list, this is when we think about what God has done for us, so then we think about what we can do for other people who are treated unjustly 
whether it's in church or out of church. You've got to speak up and say something, not want to be the it factor and that you're going to be cast out or you'll be rejected. Jesus was rejected for righteousness. How come you can't? How come we can't? You see the injustice being done, and as a community of believers, we've got to stand up, and we've got to fight for ourselves, but we've also got to fight for those who can't. Stop sacrificing other people. Stop having crab mentality. When we do a self-inventory, when we do a self-inventory and recovery, we call that step four and step ten. See, we get it at the beginning and then close to step 12, we move right back into recovery because we've got to do a, a personal inventory. We have to do a check-in to, find, to, to make sure that we're still balanced and where it is that God would have us. So we've got to make sure that we create this list and do an honest list. Do an honest list that would have you understand where God would have you, what he's redeemed you from, how, how you faced recovery, how your reconciliation factor was, how he restored you, how he regenerated you. And when you think upon those things, you can help somebody else come out because he will remind you of what he did for you. As he had to remind Israel, but as he had to remind Judah what he did for them, for them to come out. He was the plaintiff. They were the defendant. There is no case we can place before him that he can't handle. But he will not tolerate the ridiculous Christian ignorance that would question him when we have lived in faith, as we say. But it is it, it rings false when we don't believe in his word and what it is he can do, what it is that he has done, and what he can do for us. I'm thankful. I thank God. Thank God for allowing the body of Christ to be on this call. I thank God for allowing us to assemble in this place. And as we pray, we understand that we know that it is someone we're going to help somebody because somebody was lost today, or you're going to be able to lead somebody to Christ through Sunday school. You're going to help somebody in their exodus. You're going to help somebody understand that all have sinned. Help someone understand that there's a penalty for sin, that God's provision for sinners, and how, how to receive the Lord Jesus Christ, and how we pray. The Romans wrote that as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. It's such an easy process. This is how we help someone understand the injustice of their life, that when they come into the new life, we bring them into the fold, and we win their souls to Christ so they can understand what the righteousness is. But we, they live unjust when they're not saved. That's a, word that, that's a word right there for somebody. I know it was for me, because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So here is where we engage our students in our lesson, and then we, we begin to remind, we remind them that a sinner is going to live an unjust life unless they are called to repentance. 
And if they are called to repentance, then they can receive the glory and the promises of God. Amen, somebody. Amen. Amen. And as we close tonight, um, I, I'm not sure if um, if Evangelist Lillian is on the line or not. Lillian Miller, are you on the line? Yes, I am. Oh, amen. Pray, pray, <laughs> praise God. I, I've got a lot of people on the on the call right now, so I, I wasn't sure. I just I, I I needed to make sure that you were there. Lillian is from Upper Room Church of God in Christ, and our, our awesome Sunday school, and her father is the superintendent, Elder D. Miller, of, of the Sunday school department of that Upper Room Church of, Christ, Church of God in Christ uh, in Raleigh, North Carolina. And, Lillian, can you close us out in prayer on this evening? Yes, I'll be more than happy to. Amen. Thank Father, you. Father God, we thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you for this day and your love and kindness. We thank you for the word that we have heard. We pray, God, that you allow this word to speak into our consciousness, into our hearts, that we might remember and be able, oh God, when necessary, to witness this word to someone else, God, to let them know that you still love them, that you have never forgot them, that they are important, oh God, that their souls, you love them. God, I pray, I pray for those who are on the line, oh, God, help us to witness the more, oh, God, to have that compassion and that understanding. In Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. Amen, amen. Praise God, everybody. I, I, I just know that God is, God is truly doing something in this season. And remember, Sunday, Sunday school instructors, that justice, love, and humility is what we want to bring forth. Uh, this is Dr. Danette Bershay, and mm-hmm. this is Church of God in Christ International Sunday School Department. This is our Wednesday night Sunday school Bible study. This will you'll be able to replay this lesson at just call five three zero eight eight one one three nine nine and follow the prompt. You'll also be able to get this lesson. It will be on my on our my website on our our ISSD page. And it, is www.treasuresoftheheartkojic.com. It will be there as well, and it will link you to SoundCloud. So that gives an opportunity to review the lesson. It will give other leaders, uh, other Sunday school uh, teachers and leaders an opportunity to listen in another way of presentation. This platform gives an opportunity to listen to other Sunday school teachers teach. There's going to be a Sunday school teacher out there in in the state of North Carolina that is a part of the Church of God in Christ. You will have an opportunity as a Church of God in Christ Sunday school instructor to come forth and to teach this lesson. If you want to come and teach this lesson, give me a call, email me. You This is afforded to everyone. But again, the Bible goes across the denominational line. So invite somebody so they can hear a word of God. Amen. Amen. Amen, somebody. So this is our obligation of what we have to do for the body of Christ. Again, we don't want anybody to forget how God has been a benefactor to us and that how the requirements of the reality of of what God requires for us to be and so into walking humbly with, with our God. Amen. Again, thank you so much, uh, Evangelist William Miller, for closing us in prayer. This has been Dr. Danette Perche of the Church of God in Christ International Sunday School Department. If you need to call me, my number is 
9436 with any questions, or please feel free to email me at Treasures of the Heart Ministries at Yahoo.com. I look forward to talking to everyone. And with that said, good evening. I love you, and to God be the glory. And remember that just love and humility for this week, it rules. And now, present, and the future, and that the past dictates our future. Amen. 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 Be healed and recovered and redeemed in the name of Jesus. Good night, everybody. Good night.